continue through 12, chapter 1. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, again this morning we come to this text that deals with a theme that we are unexperienced in, certainly not to the degree Paul and Timothy were, the theme of shamelessly suffering for the sake of the gospel. Father, convict our hearts of our failure and our timidity to share in that suffering. Convict our hearts of our sense of shame for bearing the gospel and speaking the gospel. Thank you for your forgiveness and thank you for the grace in this text that helps our hearts to be prepared to share, to seek, to live a life that shares in that suffering. And you give us such great truth to change the way we think about suffering for the sake of the gospel. Father, you are so good and powerful and gracious to pour these spiritual riches upon us in Christ. Please let us be enlightened to their power. Enlighten us to the, to the calling to which we have been called, to the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And may it equip us with confidence, boldness, as Paul prayed, to be able to share in suffering, to speak the gospel, to seek to live a godly life so that you would be glorified, so that sinners would be brought to salvation. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. As, as we've said last week, one of the most important pieces of Timothy's equipping that Paul is giving to him through this letter is how to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. This is certainly a major theme in this letter. In our text for this morning, you can see the theme brought right to the surface in verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering. Do not be ashamed. Share in suffering. Timothy points to his own life in verse 12. He says, this is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed. In chapter 2 and verse 3, we see Paul exhorting Timothy in that regard again, share in suffering as a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. You see again in chapter 2 and verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, verse 9. Chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, you see this theme again. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. 
And then certainly chapter 4 and verse 5 brings this out again as the Apostle Paul tells him to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, to fulfill his ministry. Paul, on the brink of his martyrdom, is calling Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel. And in our text, that's the main idea. You can just really digest his twofold command in verse 8. Do not be ashamed, but share in suffering for the gospel. And everything else in these verses that we've been looking at and we'll continue to look at this morning are meant to help Timothy and help us to have a heart that's prepared and ready and eager to engage in that life. Last week, we began by asking ourselves this question. Does a text about suffering shamelessly for the sake of the gospel sound like one that you can apply to your life? And we answered that question together by the words of 2 Timothy 3.12, which say, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That verse has always arrested me. I hope you feel the same way about that. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we, we also noted that to be persecuted means anything from being mistreated to being chased for the sake of the gospel. And in this context, it is persecution on account of being the bearer, the speaker of truth. And we came to that conclusion that since Paul says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will at least be mistreated on account of the truth, then if we have never experienced mistreatment on account of the truth, that implies one of two things about us. One, either we're not desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, or secondly, we're not actively speaking the truth of the gospel to others as our master would want us to. As Jesus put it, we have our light under a bushel. We may not receive, or we may receive great exhortation. Uh, I'm sorry. So, so that means that this text does powerfully apply to every and each believer in Christ today. And one of two ways we can apply this. One, either you can be greatly encouraged by that to say, I, I have suffered mistreatment and from this text... I have great grace and ability to endure that with joy. Or maybe you've received great exhortation from this text to say, I, I need to begin to walk by God's grace in obedience to what Paul is saying here, to share in suffering. And with that in mind, let's take our application of this verse and, and, and turn it around and look at it from a little bit of a different angle. We know that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. The text says that plainly. We also know that, please notice, Paul is actually commanding Timothy to share in suffering. Isn't that an interesting command? I want you to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Again, as I've been thinking about this over the last few weeks... It's just so arresting to me. Paul is actually commanding Timothy to share in suffering for the gospel with him and to do that shamelessly. And really there's two commands that, that Paul is exhorting Timothy. One, to share in that suffering. And two, to do so shamelessly. And as we looked at it last week, we know that the main thrust of verses 
8 through 12 focuses on that second exhortation, helps us to know how we can share in that suffering shamelessly. That's kind of the emphasis. How do you do that shamelessly? Not in, without embarrassment. But before we take that up again and keep going through the text, I want us to just, just sit for a moment on that first exhortation by ourselves, by, by itself. How does one actually begin to share in suffering for the gospel? How do you obey that command? What does it look like? Share in suffering. And it can't be just for Timothy, but it, this is opened up to all followers of Christ. I think the answer is fairly straightforward throughout Paul's writings, and I don't, but I don't want it to miss it. How would you proceed to obey that command? Share in suffering. What was Timothy to do? And I, and I think the answer is simply, like verse 3 of chapter 2 tells us, or verse, verse 12 of, of, of chapter 3, says, I believe it is to live a godly life in Christ, but also to speak the gospel to others faithfully. I think that's the heart of how we actually share in suffering. That becomes clear when you look at the, the, the context of Paul's words about suffering. Again, chapter 1 here, verse 8, you're sharing in suffering for the gospel, for believing the gospel, for promoting the gospel, for speaking the gospel. Paul says in verse 12, he points to his speaking the gospel. I was a, I'm, a, I'm appointed a preacher. I'm an apostle. I'm a teacher. That's why I suffer as I do. Or chapter 4, verse 5 again. Notice he says, Endure suffering. Do the work of what? An evangelist. Someone who goes out and does the work of an evangelist is going to need to endure suffering. All we have to do, practically speaking, to share in suffering for the gospel is tell it while desiring to live a godly life. If you and I will do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, the world will hate us. You realize that. You tell the gospel as Christ told it, as the apostles told it, you will experience mistreatment just the way Jesus did, the apostles did, Paul did. And please notice that that life of speaking the gospel is not optional in Paul's mind for the followers of Christ. That life of sharing in Christ's suffering, it's not an option for us. I don't know why we think often that that's an option, that some people go out and share the gospel with others and some don't. That's for all of us who are in Christ. And that's how we share in suffering. The most immediate, practical step that we can take is to share the gospel every time the Lord gives us an opportunity. And I'm certain that he gives us the opportunity far more often than we realize. Have you, have you, have you experienced that? Where there are times where you're just busy about the earthly things of life and... You don't think much about sharing the gospel with the people around you. But then you begin to think about it. Something you, you saw, something you read, something you heard. And you begin to pray about it. I need to share the gospel with those whom God gives me opportunity. And all of a sudden you go into life with that perspective. 
And you're, you're like seeing opportunities everywhere throughout your daily routines. It's, it's a perspective. It's a difference in, in Paul's perspective that he's giving to Timothy and that, that we can own as well. And that's why Paul is exhorting then for Timothy to do this sharing and suffering shamelessly. Paul is preparing Timothy's heart to desire that kind of life in Christ for the sake of the gospel. And, and really that's where the heart of the text is. How does one have a heart that is prepared to share in suffering without shame, without embarrassment? That's one of the biggest things that holds us back, right? From speaking it, from living it, and being willing to share that suffering. We're, we're ashamed sometimes. We feel embarrassed. And Paul's powerful answer to that question is really in verse 12. How do I get that heart that is not ashamed in any situation? He says, I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able. Those are the two focal points of our text. We, look at, we looked at the first point. How does one suffer shamelessly like Paul? Number one, last week we looked at that. To know him whom you have believed, whom you have trusted. Let me just quickly review that with us. How can I suffer shamelessly? As, as the Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy, do not be ashamed, share in suffering. And that answer comes, one, know whom you've believed, two, and be convinced that he's able to keep you. If you're going to suffer shamelessly, number one, for the sake of the gospel, you must know the God of the gospel in whom you have trusted. The knowledge that Paul is speaking of is a personal knowledge, an experiential knowledge, an intense and intimate knowledge of God. This is a knowledge from personal discovery and examination. It's a knowledge from attentive observation. It's a knowledge from God breaking into the life of someone who needed salvation like Paul and then experienced it powerfully. It's a knowledge that moved Paul's heart to regard and cherish God, his Savior, above all else. This is a knowledge that comes from a living faith to see God as he is, to love him more than anything else, and therefore to trust him no matter what. And that's how Paul experienced God. Paul knew God, his Savior, like this. He had seen him, Acts 9, on the road to, to, to Damascus. He had learned from him, Galatians 1. He was overwhelmed with the truths of the gospel. He had been changed by him, Philippians 3, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. He had experienced his grace, his mercy, his love and power. We see that in, Timothy, or in Paul's example of, or in Paul's testimony in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And then that knowledge of God that Paul enjoyed compelled him to trust God. I know whom I have believed. I know him in whom I have trusted. This is an action of believing that indicates Paul decisively set his trust on God and he Still will, no matter what, until the day that he sees Jesus. Paul could suffer shamelessly because he knew God intimately and trusted God tenaciously. All by the grace of God. That's what Paul said in his own confession. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I am what I am because of the grace of God at work within me. Well, Timothy or someone else, we might say, but, but we don't know God like Paul did. But... God has revealed himself to us gloriously in the gospel. And if you have the eyes of faith, 
to see God for who he is in the gospel, then you can also, by God's grace, love him and trust him the way Paul did. And that's why Paul is writing these words in verses 9 through 10. He rehearses the glorious gospel of, of God. And that's why Paul uses the word us throughout this gospel summary, verses 9 and 10. So that Timothy and every true child of God will be certain that they're included in this knowledge. They're included in this experience of God as well. This is our God. This is the Savior that we know and love and trust. This is the salvation of God that we've experienced as his children and rejoice in. And this is the gospel for which we are called to suffer. Paul says to Timothy, he saved us. He called us. He did so not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace in Christ Jesus. He manifested his grace through Jesus Christ. And for us, he abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. These are the glorious truths of God's salvation in our lives. So what's Paul seeking to do is we looked in more detail at those truths, but just to, to remind ourselves of those things very, very briefly. What's Paul seeking to do in our heart, in the hearts of his readers, by that gospel exaltation? The point is this. When you truly know who God is as your Savior, and you understand what he's done for you in the gospel, you'll be moved by it. You'll experience his saving work personally. You'll be transformed by it. When God is at work in your life, like he says he is in this gospel summary, how could you not love him for what he's done for you? You will come to trust him and love him more than anything else. So that when it comes time for you to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, you'll be strengthened. You'll be enabled. To know God is to love him. If you have eyes of faith, if God has given you eyes of faith and you understand the gospel, to know God is to love him. And to love him is certainly to trust him and to obey him and to follow him even when it means suffering for the sake of the gospel. True knowledge of God the gospel will give you a love for God that won't be embarrassed when you're called upon to suffer for his sake. True knowledge of God through the gospel will give you a trust in God that will strengthen you to suffer for him, even to the point of death, as this gospel reveals, because you know that he's the one who, for you, abolished death and gave you life and immortality. Let me draw your attention for just a moment. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. I was reading through this text this week. And this text presents to us a very wonderful view of the treasures that we have in Christ and then points us to be willing to suffer for the, for the sake of that treasure. Look at, look at verse 8. 
When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The writer is comparing the old sacrificial system with the new covenant in Christ. That we are made sanctified before God because we have a perfect priest who ever lives and he brings the sacrifices of his own body to forgive us and cover us once and for all. Verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The single offering of his body on the cross perfected us for all time those who are being set apart unto God for salvation. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of sin of these, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Could you imagine today, coming to meet together in worship and to come before the Lord's table for communion, to bring prayer before the Lord. And you have to bring all these sacrifices with you. And you do that day after day after day. And what a privilege it is to come, to gather together and to enter into the presence of the Lord, to worship him and love him and rejoice in his, in his saving work simply because of once of one once and for all sacrifice of Christ. What a great privilege. What is our response then to that? And that's what, that's what the writer says. Therefore, verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places by what? The blood of Christ. You come into the, the presence of God. And then there's another sense, verse 21. And since we have a great high priest of the house of God, let us draw near. So, since we have this confidence to enter, since we have a great high priest, come, draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. He is faithful, who is, pro who is, who is promised, who is, is faithful. Verse 24, let us consider then how to stir up one another to good works, not neglecting to meet together. We have, we have such a privilege in entering the presence of God by this great priest, Jesus Christ, since we have all this, draw near, hold fast to your confession, consider how to stir one another up and meet together. And notice, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you what? You endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes 
being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Suffering for the sake of the gospel is one of the themes of Hebrews. And what do you see what the writer is doing there? It's like, look what you have in Christ. So then, you can draw near. You can hold your confidence. You can keep meeting together to stir one another up. And you can willingly suffer for the sake of this glorious gospel. Because, you know, if you, if you lose the things of earth, you have a better possession and an abiding one eternally in Christ. Joyfully accepting the plundering of your property. Brothers and sisters, can we prepare our hearts for the future with these kinds of texts? Think this way by the Spirit of God. Look at chapter 11, verse 24. Look how Moses treasured the gospel. Can we say it that way? He treasured the God given to him through grace. He treasured the words of truth. He treasured what he was given with the people of God by faith. And it does take eyes of faith, doesn't it? To see this and be willing to share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. Because you have to see what is invisible and value it more than what you can see and touch. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. There's our word, right? Mistreated. I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And Paul is saying the same thing. I know whom I have believed. This is what, I, what we have in the gospel is a far greater treasure than anything we could ever lose on earth. Therefore, we're willing to share in suffering without shame. Hebrews 13. Uh, I should draw your attention to the end of the chapter before I move on. The end of chapter 11. Verse 32, the, the, what these precious, faith-filled, sustained people by God's grace endured is beyond our imagination for the sake of the treasure of Christ and the gospel. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the fire, power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. You see? This is, we don't know this kind of life, do we? We've not experienced this. This, is, this, is, this fills the New Testament life. And, and as we anticipate, maybe we're going to move back toward this kind of life. So we need to be ready. We need to take Paul's words to heart. 
refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I read this text and you know what I think? I am such a wimp. Right? For the sake of Christ. But the power of God is promised to us, isn't it? We will have what we need when we need it. And that's point two. We'll get there in just a second. I've got to finish reading this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And here's all the more riches for us. What did they not see that we have seen and have? The incarnate Christ. The promise is fulfilled. And we're in him. Chapter 13, 5 through 6. Keep your life free from the love of money. All earthly things can run away quickly when you share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. And be content with what you have. For he has said, what? I will never leave you. All the things of earth that you enjoy may run quickly away, but I will never leave you. And is God enough? The God that we have in the gospel who saved us and called us and gave us purpose and grace, manifesting Christ to us, abolishing death and brought to us life and immortality. Is he enough? He is enough to give us all that we need and to be to us all that we need so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me. Don't be ashamed, dear brothers and sisters. Share in suffering for the sake of the gospel. How do we do that? Know him whom you, whom you have trusted. You know him and you, and you value him more than what you would potentially lose in the sharing of that suffering for the gospel. But secondly, so incredibly encouraging, be convinced of his power. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able. If God has done all this for his children through the gospel, will he not also give to us his power in the suffering that the gospel requires? Of course he will. Romans 8.32 If he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Are you convinced that come that moment where you are speaking the gospel and you must share in mistreatment that God will give you his divine power? We must be convinced of that. Fully assured that God's ability to strengthen us and sustain us will be ours any moment of suffering for the gospel. Think about this, dear ones. As you anticipate being mistreated for the sake of the gospel, do you know that God is able to meet your need and willing, that he's willing to give you his power when you need it? For, for physical strength, emotional strength, spiritual strength, mental strength, hey, those aren't easy moments to navigate, right? They are not easy. They're exhausting. But God is able. God is able. 
And are you convinced that, that, that God is, is that powerful? He is so great in power. Notice in verse 8 that Paul points Timothy to the power of God. He says, share in suffering. Don't be ashamed. Share in suffering by the power of God. That's the way to endure it. He was a preacher. He was a, an apostle, a teacher. And he was not ashamed because he knew that God was able. Now, what is Paul talking about here? He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, some of you have in your Bible a version that says, what I, what I have entrusted to him. And other versions say, what he has entrusted to me. Have you noticed that? That's one of those uh, verses that's a little like, what, what, which way is it? Is it what I have entrusted to him or what he has entrusted to me? And honestly, it, this is challenging to know from the original language which direction Paul is intending. Because the phrase literally reads, Able is he, my deposit, to guard until that day. Able comes out front. That's a wonderful thing because that's what Paul is wanting to emphasize is the ability of God. But my deposit, is that the one God gave to Paul or the one Paul gave to God? That's a little bit harder to come to the conclusion. If Paul is speaking about what he has entrusted to God, what Paul is, is probably talking about himself. His own soul, his salvation, his eternal life, it's all in God's hands. He has entrusted to God everything about himself. And of course then, God is able to guard Paul and keep him and protect him and preserve him and sustain him through all that suffering until the day. What day? The day that Paul stands before God. He will be kept. We know those promises throughout Scripture. Well, if Paul is speaking about what God has entrusted to him, then we think of the gospel, right? Paul says, God entrusted the gospel to me. We, we think of the ministry of being a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Then we see Paul saying, well, then God is able to keep Paul faithful and the message preserved through all suffering until the day he's with Christ. So the question is, which is it? And you knew I was going to say this. I, I I don't know which one it is, but this is maybe one of those times where I tend to think that by a slight but intentional vagueness, Paul means to include all of that. Because all of that is fitting. Since the gospel reveals a God who is powerful enough to save and to choose and to change a man like Paul apart from any of his own doing and give him grace through Christ's life and death and resurrection, then then that God is fully able to keep Paul's faith, isn't he? And fully able to preserve Paul's gospel and protect Paul's life and guard Paul's ministry through all the suffering appointed for him. Paul knew from day one what he was appointed to, Acts 9. And so God was able to keep all of that guarded, protected, preserved until the second that God had chosen to bring Paul into his presence. That's the idea. We're focusing on the protecting, keeping, guarding power of God. 
Paul was convinced of the magnificent power of God and had personally experienced God's power over and over again to enable him to suffer shamelessly for the gospel. And now Paul is inviting Timothy and us to experience that power, to shamelessly share in suffering by the power of God. Dear ones, if you will faithfully share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, you will also share in the power of God. God will give you that for that moment. One thing I think we have to learn a little bit differently as believers, we tend to want to manage our own experiences of the Christian life and make sure we've got all of the pieces in a row and we understand how all of it works. That's not the way it is. We have to entrust our, ourselves into the hands of a faithful creator and trust that God will do for us what only he can do and what he only knows how to do in the moments where, that are totally beyond our ability. If you're a true child of God who is seeking to live a godly life in Christ Jesus and who is seeking to obediently share in suffering for the gospel by speaking it faithfully, then you are spiritually invincible by the power of God. He will keep you. He won't lose you. And you're physically invincible until the moment he chooses to call you to his presence, however he means to do that. Do you know that? He is able. Turn your eyes away from your weakness, your fears, your deficiencies, and the earthly temporal things that you don't want to let go of and fix your eyes on the power of God that is able to keep you through any kind of suffering until the day you stand before Christ. Paul says, I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. That's why he's not ashamed. That's why he doesn't hold back from sharing in the suffering. There's two words for power in the New Testament. One refers to authority or right. We heard this just recently in Pastor Randy's message in Reformation Weekend. You can illustrate it this way. You have the authority or right to hunt this week if you have a license, right? That's, that's authority or right. Sometimes that word is translated power. But there's another word for power that is referring to strength and ability, not authority and right. Authority and right's the hunting license. Strength and ability is the rifle and the rounds that you have to actually get the job done. There are those two kinds of power explained in the Bible. And we already have the authority of Christ, right, as we go out and speak the gospel. He gave it to us, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. All authority, remember how Jesus said that? All authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Now, what? You go and you make disciples and I'll be with you. But this word here and here, it's the same word. Power, ability, same, same word. It refers to the strength and ability that we need to overcome shame, share in suffering, endure hardship, remain faithful to Christ, speak the gospel accurately, clearly, boldly, lovingly. We have the authority. What we need is what? Ability. I can't do this. God in you can in a way that you could never imagine. 
Let me, can I take you on a little journey with me through the, through the Bible, the New Testament here? Look at Acts chapter 1. And I would encourage you, because we don't have a whole lot of time, I want to give you these references. I want, you to, I want to show you some texts in the New Testament that make this connection between sharing and suffering for the gospel and the power of God given to you to enable you to do this. You write these down, and you can go back and look at them more carefully later. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power, the same word, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's ability is given to us to speak the gospel. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. This is a tremendous chapter here where the people of God were suffering for the sake of the gospel in speaking the gospel. And he writes here, following this suffering, you can, you can look back through the prayer in verses 23 of Acts 4 through 31. You can see in 29 the specific suffering. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And look what happened in verse 33. And with great power, the apostles were, given, were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. They had what they needed. They had great ability, power, strength to keep witnessing even in the face of threats and mistreatment. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. You know, we, we tend to visualize the Apostle Paul according to Hollywood, right? And what we see in this chapter is something very different. This is, this is what we need to see in our mind when we see the Apostle Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 3. He says, And I was with you in what? Weakness. And in fear and much trembling. I mean, think what the man had been through. What must he have looked like? How did he handle himself? I mean, we don't know one that's, that, that's been stoned and beaten and left for dead and suffered shipwreck. I mean, just look at the, the list of what Paul had physically suffered. And here he is. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's how Paul came into the situation to speak the truth. And God's power enabled him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is, this is one of those sections where 
I've read it and read it and read it over the course of my life. And then just in the last few months, I actually saw what I was reading. And it provided such great encouragement. Look at this. I want Take this home with you. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That's how Paul felt. So utterly burdened beyond strength. We know the the historical background. They, They went from the frying pan into the fire with persecution for the sake of the gospel. And they come to Corinth. I mean, they're running for their lives. And they experienced a, a great affliction coming out of Ephesus. Don't, doesn't say what it was, but it was so great that they were burdened beyond their strength. They despaired of life. And indeed, we felt that we had received a sentence of death. But why? What does he say? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's experiencing the power of God to keep going, to keep speaking the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. These are the classic lists of Paul's suffering. But notice what he says. Verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing what? Power belongs to God, not to us. We're afflicted, yes, but we're not crushed. The power of God is at work in them. It's so far beyond their ability. God's ability is carrying them through this, not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Look at chapter 6. Two chapters away. He calls the people to receive the grace of God, but not in vain. In a favorable time, verse 2, I listened to you, God says. In the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, and the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, and here it is, right? And the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor and yet making money rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. The power of God brought Paul through all of that to continue to speak the gospel. 2 Corinthians 12, these are some of the most well-known verses in this letter. Chapter 12, verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. He had a messenger of Satan to harass him that God ordained to keep him from becoming conceited. 
He asked that it would be removed. God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my what? Power, my ability, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so therefore, Paul said, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, that I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The power of God is available to his children for all of life that he calls them to, including to continue to speak the gospel. Philippians 3.10. We alluded to that verse earlier. The Apostle Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. That was Paul's desire. I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. And he could do it by his power, by the power of the resurrection. Becoming like Christ in his death. Colossians chapter 1. 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that it was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. That's what Paul's after, right? He wants to make the word of God fully known. He wants the Gentiles to know the gospel, so he's willing to suffer whatever he has to suffer to see that through. To make known the mystery, verse 26, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Paul's mission, him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Same word. He suffers for the sake of getting the gospel to those who are chosen. And he struggles with all God's energy that powerfully works within him. 1 Peter 1, 3-6. You can jot that reference down. 2 Timothy 2, 1-3. through We're going to look at that in weeks ahead. 2 Timothy 4, 14-17. So 1 Peter 1, 3-6. 2 Timothy 2, 1-3. through 2 Timothy 4, 14 through 17. And notice in this text, coming back to 2 Timothy chapter 1. You're probably in another book, but come back to 2 Timothy. And there's another connection to the power of God here that Paul makes. Let's not overlook it. Look at verse 7. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony, but share his suffering. Therefore, what does that point back to? Well, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of what? Power. Same word. All through. Power, ability, strength, love, and self-control. Can we own this for ourselves? We're not the Apostle Paul, but we have a whole community of people to share the gospel with 
And we know that when we speak the gospel as it is, in truth, we will share in mistreatment. But God's power is yours in Christ. Own it. Let's fully expect and trust God to give us the same power when we're called to suffer for speaking the gospel. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will. You may be done great harm. You may have your message opposed. You may be deserted by other professing believers in the moment, like Paul was. We'll see that next week. You may be threatened by various earthly losses, relationships, jobs, provisions, safety, even your life. Who knows? Only God. You may be coming out of one situation of hostility and heading into another, just like the Apostle Paul. You may be weak, physically and fearful. You're like, I can't handle this. Have you ever said that to yourself? I can't handle this. You may be burdened beyond your strength. Despair of your physical life, just like Paul. You may sense the evil one buffeting you. Here's the fact of the truth of Scripture. God's power is greater than all of that. And he will fill you with his power whenever he has planned for you to speak the gospel and suffer for it. He will. You can count on the power of God. That's, Paul was so certain of this. I am convinced. I have been persuaded. I am settled in my conviction that God is able to guard me and the gospel and all that he's entrusted and all that I have entrusted to him. You can count on the power of God. Walk ahead then into that moment of witness and watch God do what he says he will do. As we close this morning, I'll just ask you then this question. Do you ever feel ashamed of the gospel? Think about that. Are you ever unwilling to be mistreated by others for speaking the gospel or publicly owning the gospel? That's not as far from our experience as we might want to think. Why? Why do we feel embarrassed to speak the gospel? Maybe sometimes we expect someone's negative verbal or emotional reaction to us and to the truth we speak, and we don't, we don't want to feel that. Maybe sometimes we may anticipate some kind of negative consequence, maybe in the workplace or in a relationship that could put you at a disadvantage. Maybe you anticipate some kind of backlash in family relationships that would make things very awkward for you or even alienate you from your family. Do you want to know what it really comes down to for each one of us? And we, we all struggle with these sorts of thoughts and feelings. It comes down to what we value more, doesn't it? The, the losses, you know, Paul owns the pain of, of losses in suffering for the gospel. They are real and they hurt us. We're human. But ultimately, it comes down to what we value more. Do we value more ourselves and our own comfort or the salvation of sinners and the glory of God? Do we value more ourselves in our earthly existence or our God and Savior and all that he has granted to us in Christ? 
What do we value more? Setting our hope on all that this world offers as security and satisfaction or setting our hope on God, whom we can never lose and will never forsake us. So as we, can, as we wrestle with our own hearts, how can we overcome that shame and prepare to suffer? It's just like what Paul said. Know him in whom you have trusted. Ask God to give you a a heart that sees, eyes of faith to see God and the gift of salvation for what it is. And be convinced of the power of God to carry you through it. These are the riches of God for us in Christ. And these are Paul's inspired words to us. I want us, I long for it, and I trust you do as well, that we would experience this. You know, think about it. There, there, there are probably witnessing opportunities even right now, opportunities you know that God has given to you to share the gospel, and stuff's been holding you back in your heart. But can we ask the Lord to give us the grace and the power to, to move into that with his love, his grace, his strength, because we know him. And we're convinced that he is able. Let's stand together and we'll pray this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for, your, for this grace that you have given to us through the words of Paul. Spirit inspired, spirit empowered. May we receive them and trust that you will do what you say you will do. Give us hearts like those described of people in the letter to the Hebrews. People that will come to the place who value, who, who, who love you and trust you and are filled with joy in you and waiting for your promises to be fulfilled so that we are willing to joyfully receive the plundering of our property. Because we have a greater promise from you and a greater inheritance to come. Father, teach us to think so differently than we do. And help us to trust in your power. Even when it doesn't make sense how we're going to get through what you've called us to. Help us to be willing to share in suffering. And to do so shamelessly. Teach us, Father, thank you for your grace for your forgiveness. You know our frame. You remember that we are dust and, and you, you, you look at our weakness and you supply us with power. How good you are and gracious. Thank you, Father. May each one of us experience that. And Father, if there is someone this morning here that is, is fellowshipping with us or meeting with us that is not yours and your child, they do not know their, their sins are forgiven. May they hear the gospel, even as we share at the Lord's table this morning. And, and may they rejoice in your great salvation. We pray, these, we pray these things for your glory and our good and our joy. In the name of Jesus, amen.